Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And hello, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how's your week been so far? So far, so good, but it's early. That's true. Well, today's a big day in Astro World. We're uh, going up against the Yankees, and it's a day game, so we're not all going to be up till one in the morning, so that's exciting. It's fortunate, although I suspect worker productivity in the city of Houston will be considerably down. <laughs> Which is why we're cranking this out before the first pitch, for sure. Yes, yeah, so if we start talking really fast, just understand. <laughs> yeah, we've got some serious things happening here in Houston. So, uh, well, talk about exciting here. At the beginning of the week, we had another merger. Jagged Peak announced they have entered into a definitive merger agreement under which Parsley will acquire Jagged Peak in an all-stock transaction valued at approximately 2.27 billion, according to the news. So, uh, yeah, just continue to see some mergers and more consolidation. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where 2020 takes us, but certainly, uh, certainly some, you know, it seems like every week's, you know, there's either consolidation, murders, or unfortunate uh, chapter 11 filings. So uh, a lot of shakeups, but either way, I think we'll make it through on the other end, Matt. What do you think? This too shall pass. Right, exactly. Well, uh, before we get going, I just want to sh- uh, get a bit of a reminder out there to everybody, our tech tips. Uh, if you visit YouTube and search up AES Drilling Fluids, you'll notice we've got an ES and a viscosity one out there so far. And I know we've been saying this, that we're going to try and get them out regularly. But again, it uh, just takes time. But um, either way, if you've got an idea or you'd like to see you know, one up there, we've got quite a few in, in the queue uh, that Matt and his team are eagerly working on. But either way, we'll uh, be sure to, uh, you know, when they when they do get announced, check LinkedIn. Um, everyone will get, uh, notified most definitely. Um, Matt, let's, uh, let's talk about today. I think would be good to talk about lost circulation. It's something that we've, I think we've briefly mentioned a few times, but we've never actually died, like dove into the nitty gritty. So, um, yeah, Matt, what do you think? You got your LCM packages ready or what? I think so. You know, I think in a way we've almost sort of intentionally avoided this, not because, I mean, it is one of the most important things we could talk about with respect to drilling fluids. But there's so many nuances, so many different avenues we could take. So I think today, you know, kind of just going through the general overview, I think, I think a lot of folks will be comfortable with what we're talking about. And then hopefully that inspires some questions about, okay, I understand the basics, but what about this or what about that? Um, so we could probably work our way into future episodes with a bit more detail, but we knew just talking about lost circulation in one episode would be drinking from a fire hose that the fire hose would be blasting for hours on end. So right. here's our first foray into lost circulation. Perfect. Well, Matt, why don't we go ahead and sort of define um, what, circul- uh, what lost circulation is and just like the, the types that we encounter in the drilling fluids world. Sure. So, I mean, lost circulation kind of sounds like, I mean, uh, something in your, your heart rate or, you know, imagine if you're bleeding, not to be too graphic, but... Um, <laughs> You know, normally the heart pumps, pumps something out and you, you get all that blood back from, you know, from leaving the aorta and, and going back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when we're thinking about, you know, mud is blood, um, I pump a barrel of mud down, down the pipe, up backside, and uh, I want to see a barrel coming back. And when we see anything less than that, 
um, we would say that we're losing some of that fluid somewhere down hole. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, unless we're very poor at tracking our volumes, let's argue for the sake of argument that we're losing that fluid down hole somewhere. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is typically associated with the formations that we drill into. Um, you know, some of, beyond just the, just the money issue of losing fluid, uh, it could also bear in mind that if I don't have a whole barrel coming back, um, it may be that I don't have a full column of fluid, which could result in taking a kick or having a, a blowout, a well control event, um, because we obviously want that hydrostatic pressure. That's how we pick mud weights. Um, so it could be very severe, but this could be as simple as drilling into a permeable formation. Our fluid loss isn't totally tight with the materials that we have there. We get a little bit of leak off. We see, we see some losses. Um, it could be drilling into or inducing a fracture. You know, a large fracture, we'd lose a lot. Smaller fracture networks, we may not lose nearly as much. Um, and then uh, everybody's favorite, drilling into a cavern or a vug, um, it sounds as bad as it might, where I have this huge void space I just drilled into. Um, and so I'm going to lose a lot of fluid. And it may be very difficult to pump the right materials to seal off something that large. Right. And I mean, naturally, you think, well, why would you even want to drill through these domes? But to get to the hydrocarbons, you just, you know, Mother Nature's laid the earth down in such a way that you have no choice. It's not like you can just steer around it or, or pick your surface locations. You can to some degree, but ultimately, you know, you got to get through uh, the cheese to get to the oil. If you, I don't know if that's a good example, but either way, you got to get through the, the, you know, those formations um, that can be extremely challenging to get to the pay zone. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you... You would avoid it if you could, but ultimately you just got to have a good plan in place and, and tackle it. And, um, you know, which kind of leads me into, uh, the next one with regards to, to, uh, well, let's talk before we get on to remedial, let's talk about sort of the consequences. So obviously the fluid has a, a cost associated with it. So, you know, what, what are some of the consequences if you start losing massive returns uh, that basically could, um, what would be the outcome, you know, in a, in a drilling circumstance? Well, I mean, it, it could be any number of things. Um, you know, it could be just, Hey, I'm losing a little bit of fluid and that costs money. Um, but it could build its way all the way up to, like we mentioned, a a well control event, but think of, okay, I have to treat these losses to keep, to maintain circulation. If I'm going to try and regain returns. And sometimes I think we, you know, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, the idea of drilling blind in a previous episode, perhaps, where you just say, all right, I'm just going to keep the hole full of water or, or some fluid, just keep filling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to drill with no returns, with no expectation of getting fluids back. But let's, let's take our se- a step back from all of that. And let's say that I, I do need some form of returns. I need to maintain circulation, um, as in many cases we do. Um, think about the rig time. Think about the, the sheer cost of... Um, not only not only the material, the the liquid mud or the treatment additives, but the rig time, um, the trucks you have to get moving. Um, you know, any any one of our mud plant operators, you say, how long does it take to you know to make a mix, get it ready? And they say, well, and, you know, they're very careful. They're they're very strategic in how they present that information. But they always say, but if you're on losses or well control, you go first. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may say, look, if if nobody's in front of you, it takes me four to six hours to mix that way to mud. Um, but, but then they'd say, but if someone's having losses or there's a serious issue, get in line. Um, or you get to cut if it's, if it's you. 
Right. Um, so there's, there's all these knock-on effects. Um, and I think even the treatment will get aggressive with treatments because, and we don't want to pull our tools. Um, tool compatibility is, is something to think about when we pump loss circulation material. It could be we plug things off because we were on a lot of losses. We're fighting it. We try something. We have to come out of the hole. We have to change that out. So there's all this kind of unplanned, non-productive time dealing with losses that could be that it's not just the losses themselves or the cost of whole mud. It's all the other stuff I have to do to get my well back to the way it was mm-hmm. before I can keep drilling. Right, right. So when in these types of circumstances, uh, a lot of times you can lose a significant amount of volume, but in other cases, you may only be losing a little bit at one time. Um, you know, so in our world, the rate of losses is extremely important. So why don't you go through sort of the different category, different classifications of the rates of this loss circulation? Sure. I, I mean, and, and bear in mind, these definitions are very loose, but we typically define things by the loss rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this is so that you can come up with a plan on how to respond to it. So seepage losses, um, I would say, and this is my arbitrary definition, probably less than 10, maybe 15 barrels an hour of losses. So you're leaking off a little bit of fluid. You've still got pretty good returns while drilling. Um, and so in that case, you know, you probably just need a light treatment. You need to put something in the fluid, uh, seal off some things. You're likely leaking off to some of those permeable zones. You're not inducing a fracture, something along those lines, but, but that would be kind of the first category. And then we, from there, we move forward to, um, you know, probably what we call partial losses, which let's say 10 to 30-ish barrels an hour. Um, and I think some people's kind of threshold for pain is a little different on these, just mm-hmm. by way of here, you may be drilling through some natural fractures. There may be some other things. Um, but this is something you're probably going to want to address. You're losing at enough of a rate that this is affecting your volumes. Um, you, you're going to want to apply some form of treatment. Um, but we're not necessarily in crisis mode here um once we get above about 30 maybe 50 barrels an hour um you know then we're we're probably talking more towards the total partial to total and and total losses is is, as bad as it sounds i put a barrel in and nothing comes back Mm -hmm. um so there's there's a sliding scale there but but i think the important thing there is not necessarily the volumes that you're losing um, necessarily other than drawing those distinctions. So you know how to treat, um, because sometimes it's just as simple as, okay, we're losing a few barrels an hour. Let's throw something in to, to stop that from happening. Right. Um, and then as we get more complex, we want to say, okay, when do we just stop, fix this with our plan in place and then, you know, and, and keep everybody in communication on, on that we're trying to address this and take the time to do it. Right. Um, before things get out of hand. And then if things are really out of hand, of course, we ring the alarm bells and let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Um, so really those loss rates help define your response plan. Right. So with regards to, you know, you got your seepage, your partial, and then your more severe cases, um, things really get a little dicey when you're talking about severe or total loss returns. Uh, you know, things like logistics, you know, whether, you know, whether or not you got to, um, like when it comes to logistics, you know, how quick you can get material or liquid back to, into the, you know, to location to where you can keep your hole filled. Um, but even things like, you know, if it's severe, you know, maybe, you know, stopping drilling, coming up, spotting something. So why don't you talk about, you know, different scenarios and total loss returns that we might be faced with? So with respect to, uh, 
you know, if we're, if we're having total losses for it, for example, um, you know, there's this arithmetic you have to face. Let's say, you know, you probably have slowed your pump rates because you're seeing these massive losses, hopefully trying to regain circulation, looking at, okay, can I just lower my pump rate or did I drill into something that's just drinking all of this fluid as we would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, but we reach that point we say, okay, um, what are we going to do next? We, we pull out of the hole. We go, go in the hole with open pipe, for example, to, to pump a treatment. Uh, for example, this may be, and, and here we get into our more severe treatment schedule, right? So we're doing it. We're pumping things that we may not be used to. It may be a, you know, a, a hesitation squeeze, um, a gunk squeeze. Some of these things we're actually trying to take a very thick, nasty set of materials inject it into the the location or the zone that's taking the fluid hopefully i have some idea where that is right um injecting it squeezing it in there making sure that it has a chance to kind of set up um or defluidize um and hopefully then i can regain circulation and move on if i can't then we start talking about you know at what point do i cut my losses here um not literally now figuratively um, <laughs> right. and, and say, look, uh, we need to pump some cement and, and sidetrack. Um, yeah. So it, in a way it's, if you're looking at the worst case scenario, it's I pump a cement plug and say better luck next time. And then kind of draw your way back from there of saying, okay, well there are some less severe, less serious situations I can address with a squeeze or, or uh, one of those materials. And then, you know, high concentration treatment pills, and then what we would call, you know, the background material, the lighter stuff where I'm addressing seepage losses. So you've got that whole broad swath of, of options, right? Um, depending on the, the materials you have available and, and what your action plan is. Right. So you mentioned drilling blind and, and by that is basically you, you drill with no returns and, and all you're doing is really just trying to keep your, you know, mud in your suction pit or water or whatever it is that uh, you're pumping down hole enough to just keep drilling. You know, so why wouldn't you just always do that? You know, like explain maybe why you would, you're in a situation where you can do that versus you need to stop it. You need to obviously come up with a remedial plan in order to, you know, regain circulation to keep drilling. I mean, a lot of it comes down to well control, right? Uh, keeping, keeping my suction pit full, that's pretty easy to do if I'm just pumping water or, you know, I have a bunch of volume sitting around. It gets a lot more difficult when we're drilling with 13-pound mud because we know if we use 11.5, I might take a flow, water, gas, oil. Um, I know my hole might come in on me. Um, you know, all the reasons that we selected that higher mud weight come into question. Um, and so when we're, when we're looking at the scenario where we say we're drill blind, it, um, the most common time I, I've seen it is carbonate reservoirs. The one irony of carbonate reservoirs is the ones that take all of the water or the, the take all the mud have the best fracture networks mm-hmm. because carbonate reservoirs are generally, I mean, there's some that are, are uh, matrix, but for the most part, they're fractured networks. Yeah. So if they're really well connected, they're going to produce a lot of oil too. So the idea is, yes, get the hole in because this could be a really good well for us. Right. Um, now that's, uh, not to cut you off there, mm-hmm. speaking of carbonate reservoirs, that's something very common up in the Mississippi lime actually. Yep. And uh, with s- several customers up there um, that we've had, it's, it's, it's very common to uh, drill, you know, the, the Mississippi lime with just, or the Miramac with just straight fresh water. 
Um, and yeah, you would drill blind for days, uh, mm-hmm. literally just keeping water in, in the suction pit and, and, uh, you're just basically pumping lube and, you know, some corrosion inhibitor and it's very basic, but, yeah. uh, yeah, that's very common in, in the carbonating and, and it, it drills like, uh, I mean, it, it's like a gun barrel, you know what I mean? Like it's sure. very easy. You're not worried about, uh, you know, maintaining properties or you're having your hole come in cause there's nothing down there. Very competent formations and yeah. typically very small cuttings. Hey, yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. And it's interesting. You'd think if you're drilling, uh, you know, six and three quarter inch hole and you're just getting after it well, that, all those cuttings would actually serve as lost circulation material. But some of those fractures are obviously have a pretty, you know, the, the size of them are quite large and to where it'll just take fluid all day long. And I mean, I remember re- you know, recording up in 20 and 30,000 barrels of losses in one well. So it's amazing how much fluid that can take, but yeah, certainly, uh, you know, if you're in the position to do that, sometimes it's a little more cost effective just to let it go and, and just get after it. Um, but then there's some situations too where depending on you know the production string, actually regaining c- circulation is important just for the cement job. So sure. um, I'm certainly not a cement specialist, but um, that's not something you'd want to always do. But there are some uh, you know situations where operators have planned for this and engineered a well to be able to get away with doing that. So um, yeah, again, it's just interesting on you know different ways that lost circulation can be handled. Well, and drilling guys that don't care about production. Uh, I hope I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but I've certainly <laughs> seen the, you know, well, we're 500 feet from TD. I think we could just drill, bron- drill, drill blind, get her done, um, cement it. Hopefully she tests. And uh, if we don't get full, you know, if we have some pretty bad channeling and partial losses, that sounds like something the uh, production team can deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've been in the room for those, those conversations, although I didn't have a say in, in the plan forward. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that can happen. Um, so let's, let's, uh, you know, moving forward, let's assume that, uh, we're going to actually heal these, uh, lost returns. Um, something that we're familiar with and what we use, you know, on a regular basis is something called an LCM tree. So why don't you kind of describe, uh, the process that goes into that in, in making different decisions based off, you know, if this, then do that kind of situation. So, I mean, it's, it's exactly as you describe. We, you know, we, we like to break it up. Let's say, you know, seepage losses. Partial losses, you know, moderate, severe, total, whatever, however you want to break that down. And, and a lot of times what we like to do is obviously there's, there's expenses and big decisions involved with, e- even if it's moderate losses or, or partial losses, it may be something where because it could have a knock-on effect to other decisions, you really want the drilling team involved in this. Um, and so uh, basically what we do is we first say, okay, which loss scenario am I under right now? And then you've got your you know, your diamond, your, what do I do? And, uh, typically we'll have a recommendation on, um, some materials, a blend, uh, the idea being that these are materials that we think will address that scenario. So for seepage losses, it may be some fairly fine cellulosic and small granular materials. And then, you know, as we kind of get coarser and bigger and more granular as we move up in size, um, up until the squeeze materials, that sort of thing. But but each one along the way, we have a recommendation, and that recommendation is going to be driven by, you know, our experience, uh, sometimes even some lab testing, uh, some specific knowledge of that formation. We might have uh, been able to extract uh, or study uh, some of the nature of the, the rock that is there, where you're likely to lose, so we know that zone, and we can do some testing specifically for that area. Um, and then sometimes we find out a, a certain type of material works really well 
and we'll go back and figure out why, do the lab testing and say, okay, here's actually a better, an even better formulation that addresses that specific uh, formation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it can be even like transitions between, you know, one formation to the next where we see these, these loss zones. And so we can kind of figure out how to address them or, or where we're actually losing when we want to place it. Makes um, sense. And the more complex you get, it may be, you know, we need to include instructions on, okay, here's how you spot the LCM pill that we want to use. Um, so seepage losses, it says, all right, throw a few sacks in the hopper. We'll keep, you know, five pounds, five, 10 pounds per barrel of material in the system throughout, and we'll seal off all those permeable formations we're losing to. When we get to spotting, when we get to some of these other things, it's, if you don't do it right, there was no point in doing it at all. And you spent a bunch of money, not only in rig time, but lost circulation material, and you didn't fix the problem. Yeah. So then we got to get into the procedural components. But all of that, at the very least, we, you know, someone can look and say, all right, I know what my returns are. Let's go to this decision tree. This is what it says we should do. We all agreed to this in advance, understanding it was our best option. So now we don't need to spend more time kind of explaining and justifying. We'll go ahead and do it. Um, and it, it minimizes the potential time, downtime we would have trying to figure out what, what's the right move or what's the next move. Yeah. No, and, and what it, where it really helps, too, is not only making decisions in the office, but having the folks on the rig see that. And there's a lot of times when you're taking losses, you know, depending on who's out there and the experience, uh, it can get a little stressful and, and folks can tend to, you know, panic for mm-hmm. lack of better terms. So having sort of a plan that, you know, you can, you know, easily look at, uh, you know, your pace on or whichever system you're using out there to kind of figure up your rate of losses. And then you just kind of go down the, the list and, and it makes it uh, decision making uh, a little easier and it kind of has every, you know, keeps everyone on the same page. Um, that way you're not making, you know, phone calls and emails and whatever else at, you know, two in the morning. Cause that's always when these things happen that, you know, the most right. drastic scenarios. So, uh, it's kind of like, you know, and then, so it, it just kind of helps, uh, keep everyone engaged with, with what the plan is before something like this happens. And, and a lot of that is a very area specific formation specific, depending on where you're drilling, but, uh, they're cert- they're very helpful and uh, I've never seen two of the same ones. So they're, it's definitely not a one size fits all. Right. I mean, I think there's, there's kind of the, the contrasting view. There's one where people say, look, like, can't you standardize this stuff to some degree? And, and the answer is kind of, yeah, more than we could probably do more than we're doing. Yeah. But the flip side of it is also, you know, when you get into specific LCM materials, people get fairly set in their ways on what they want. There, there's other kind of players in the mix or other factors where um, you know, we like having our suite of, of recommendations and certainly if we know the area, we know what's what works, but, um, someone will come in and say, Hey, well, I, re- I really want to use this, or I think you should use some more of this. And it's like, okay, well, goodbye standardization. But, but the other part of it is some of the stuff's formation per specific. And, you know, we talk all the time about how you could be 10 feet away on a wellhead and, you know, completely go on losses and the well next to it, you didn't see a thing. Yeah. Um, and and so there's there's, there's got to be a plan for that. I think I think the biggest trap that we see in those decision trees is an overcommitment to one material. Um, and so you know we I we were reviewing a program a while ago where um, it wasn't our material, uh, but but we were looking and and uh, the losses were getting worse and worse, and they were just kind of pumping more of the exact same product. Um, and it was a very fine particle size distribution. Um, and it was, you know, we didn't really have a say in the recommendation, but it was sort of like, well, you never stood a chance because if, 
if this fine material wasn't going to stop 40 barrel an arrow, arrow lo- hour losses, then, um, you know, why was more of it going to do anything? Um, and it, yeah. it was sort of a, okay, that, um, you know, if, assuming we have a say in the next one, it would be really nice to actually outline, you know, if this isn't working, give up and we, we need to focus on, on what has a better chance. Right. So let's, and we did sort of touch on the different types of LCM products, but, um, you know, you have different categories based off, you know, whether it's poor throat size and each one has kind of a different particle size. Um, but why don't you sort of cover the different types and and why maybe some would be better used for certain situations, um, and, and kind of maybe on the course versus like the really fine type. of. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think one, you know, the the oil field we're very good at grinding up somebody else's trash and marking it up and calling it lost circulation material um it, you know it's it's funny to me but uh you know when you're drilling top hole for example and you can find these huge loss zones these highly permeable sands perhaps even you know you're drilling through an aquifer or something that you want to use fairly benign materials um until you can get that cased off at, at least um you know it could be uh, you know, a lot of that stuff's fiber flake material, basically just kind of wanted to mat out and seal over. Um, you could have some, uh, and so, you know, fibers, a lot of it can be, um, you know, cotton seed holes, gra- ground up, um, cedar fibers, uh, you know, lots of organic, naturally occurring waste products that you'd see around sawdust. When I worked up in Canada, yeah, I've never seen sawdust. more sawdust in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people use the sawdust to sit on, but you do pump it down holes occasionally. <laughs> well, as a woodworker, I will say I've never seen that much sawdust in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, those were those would be kind of at the upper hole sections. Um, and then, it, you know, another thing that comes into play is is your more granular materials. So these typically are more spherical or similar aspect ratio. Um, so this is this is your your nut plug, your ground nut shells, your graphite materials, your calcium carbonate, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. Uh, flake materials like mica, or um, you can have flake calcium carbonate. There, there's some other things there. Um, and typically, you go from some of the fibers and those bigger flake materials, and you work your way to granular size materials, which actually form, have some sort of packing mechanism. Um, as opposed to sort of a bridging or, you know, matting over a loss zone. And as you get deeper and pressures get higher, you've got to go more towards these materials that can sort of support themselves. Okay. Um, so you would look at granular materials like I, I've described. And, and as, as the loss rate goes up, you typically make these bigger. Um, so you pick larger particle size distribution of this material from very fine to coarser and coarser um, as you go. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know the other thing that from a uh, I've mentioned squeezes and there's there's a number of these different kinds of squeezes from uh, you know pumping a bunch of uh, you know bentonite that's been mixed with diesel and then basically activating it hydrating it or something along those lines down hole um, something very nasty is hence the name gunk mm-hmm. uh, some of them can have cement blended in with them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then your high fluid loss squeezes. The reason we call it, you know, high fluid loss is basically a slurry of material that um, you actually want very high leak off. Because what you want is you basically want 
all this material to filter in your loss area um, so that it leaks off and compacts and compresses against itself um, until, until it's fully sealed. Um, you know you're not going to get a filter cake because you don't have a matrix. But if, let's say, at a, a fracture, if I can get some of that material to start you know, collecting at the end of it and then more collecting, more collecting, and the more leak off I get, the more this material packs together, um, maybe I've got a shot at, at sealing it off. Okay. Um, so, and, you know, we all know there's a gazillion other, um, call them specialty materials. Um, I think, you know, on the specialty materials, there's sort of the um, special sauce kind of things. Well, I can't tell you what it is, but it's, you know, it's good stuff. Um, but a lot of the stuff I lean towards is more some of the, what you might call like proprietary blends. Right. Um, you know, AES offers a lot of these, which, um, they do have some special additives in them. I would say, um, I don't, but we don't go around recommending them for everything. Um, I think we're, we, we kind of have a formation or a fracture width in mind and we design the blend for that just for the simplicity of, instead of having 10 pallets out there, let's use one or two and really target what we know we need to get after. Right. Um, and that simplifies logistics, lowers trucking costs, that sort of thing. But it also is, you know, in that LCM tree, instead of having a box with three pounds per barrel, this four pounds per barrel, this, um, put in a sack of this, uh, you know, it, it just, it sort of simplifies addressing those things. Um, so, uh, a, lo- a lot of our blends are designed either to enhance wellbore strengthening or address a certain, you know, loss rate and then you typically do send a, out individual products in either more complex areas or for the shallow stuff i'll use these individual guys and then i'll blend them together for um deeper down that kind of thing okay. um i i think that's what i wanted to say um but are you do you can you think of anything i'm missing on that no actually i was gonna re- be my question is where you stood on sort of the proprietary blended materials uh, versus just the straight commodities? Because that's always a question. Like, well, why are we pumping this fancy stuff instead of just pumping, you know, you know cedar fiber or something super cheap? And so I think uh, folks kind of get uh, lost in, in terms of, you know, when do I add the fancy stuff and when do I add the commodity stuff, which you covered. But no, I mean, with regards to different LCM types, that, that pretty much covers it. Um, oh, you know, one other thing I, w- I wanted to include... Um, you know, you see, we can also, you know, viscosify fluid and that obviously slowers the, lowers the loss rate. But mm-hmm. um, one other material that people ask about every once in a while is um, like a swellable material. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the, it's an acrylate chemistry. It's same stuff in diapers, which uh, this weekend I was peed on twice. So it has its limits. <laughs> um, my son's drinking water like a fish right now. Nice. Um <laughs> But uh, you need to do the double diaper. That's what I, we do at nighttime. Yeah, we uh, we're learning. Yeah, uh, this is new to us. <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin's you. got two kids now, so yeah, yeah. Um, trials and tribulations to to teach Matt here. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. And if anybody has any advice on that, well, email me directly on that one. Um, <laughs> Not to get sidetracked. But have you heard of the the TP TPTP? Oh yes. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> Great idea. Not practical. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we found other solutions, which, uh, email me, I can cover those for you too. Um, right on. but, uh, I think, uh, you know, so, so the idea is that you could mix this and this material reacts very quickly with water, just like in the same way a kid's diaper, as soon as they go, 
you know, their diaper swells up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's highly absorbent. It expands at a tremendous rate. Um, and the idea would be that you could, you know, pump it down hole, give it a little bit of water down there. Boom. It expands. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think probably the excitement of being able to go in front of somebody and like pour some water on it in a jar and everybody, you know, kind of ooh and ah, yeah, probably outsells its real, you know, capabilities as a law circulation material. I don't necessarily mean that it needs to be out of the mix, but that's in some of these specialty blends or it's recommended as part of a, a blend. Um, and it's interesting stuff. Uh, I guess, but um, at the same time, um, it's it's another thing out there. Uh, yeah. So I thought it was worth mentioning just because it comes up every once in a while. Yeah, no, I um, mean, I, it, and it does. I've had uh, customers actually reach out and, um, you know, when we've, before entering a certain zone, having a, uh, you know, like a, a swellable polymer uh, to mix in with different LCM materials. And so we, we've used it and, and it's, and it, it's like anything. It has mixed results. It's just depending on the severity and, you know, again, everything downhole changes from, you know, from foot to foot. So, uh, but no, it's, it's common. And I've heard a lot of folks use something like that. It's been extremely successful yeah. and it's kind of their part of their SOP to have it on location. And when they get into a certain situation, they pump it and it works. So yeah, well, it, and, and it, I think it's part of a blend. And so it's how much credit does it get? Mm-hmm. But the other thing is my experience has been when you get too excited and pump too much of it and it swells inside your pipe, yeah. that's usually when it leaves the LCM tree is one bad experience sort of takes it out of contention. <laughs> right. Um, but I, like I said, I've, I don't have, I'm not ready to go to war and say it's worthless. I, I could include it in a blend tomorrow um, if I think it's going to work. Right. Um, so it's, it's got some potential, but bear in mind when you apply pressure on a polymer like that it's going to deform so is it is it sealing in that type of zone or we don't know right yeah, yeah. no one has their downhole goggles on to go check but if you yeah. do let us know mm-hmm. uh so man the, i mean the best loss circulation is the one that doesn't happen so let's talk mm-hmm. about loss circulation prevention like making sure we just actually don't experience it what can we do from a from a planning and mitigation standpoint to actually try and uh, solve the problem before we even experience it so, I mean, you know, the very first thing is probably the most obvious with respect to drilling practices, right? So, you know, we can be our own worst enemy. We drill too fast. We have too high of an ECD. We go on losses. Um, you know, you can use hydraulics to kind of get an idea of what your window is. Um, most, uh, a lot of places would say, well, that's, that's all well and good, but I don't actually know what my fracture gradient is. So it's hard to stay under something that doesn't exist to me. <laughs> right. Um, but also just being within reason, um, you know, making sure the hole's getting clean, keeping an eye on, uh, you know, that you're not surging the well with cuttings and um, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, on the drilling side, we see a lot. If the operator gets the, the chance, um, to, you know, adjust the casing program, try and isolate weak zones. Um, when I was in Azerbaijan, this was a huge thing where um, the irony was initially, they couldn't keep the plant full because they lost mud all the time. And then uh, they changed the casing program. And within a number of months, the plant was practically tank locked, um, <laughs> you know, b- because there was more volume than they knew what to do with because they, they didn't have any losses after that. Wow. Um, and so, it, you know, it can make all the difference in the world. Um, when you have a tight window, uh, I think a lot of us are starting to see managed pressure drilling on land. Um, you know, it's got a cost to it. but 
uh, in the right applications. It minimizes that ECD window, helps you manage the risk of losses. Um, so that's not a bad uh, option there. Right. It sounds obvious, but explain what managed pressure drilling is. So what you do is you manage the pressure. No, um, <laughs> so uh, managed pressure drilling, and um, there's, there's other nuances to this, but in essence, you kind of have like a, a well, you kind of keep pressure always on the well that's that's equalized um using computers and um you know different pressure control equipment a rotary control device so even when you're taking pipe out of the hole the the um it's not that pressure doesn't stay on the formation um other than hydrostatic so what you can do is you can basically bleed off or apply pressure um and then there's all kinds of computations and that sort of thing to do this where I'm always keeping pretty much the same or very narrow variation in pressure um, against the hole. Right, which um, you control based off your fracture gradient, right? No, it's basically right. drilling under balance, holding pressure and controlling it to make sure it doesn't fluctuate up or down. You kind of, is that? To some degree. I mean, we probably ought to break it out sometimes. So someone argue sure. that under balance, under balance, I'm actually le- letting the well breathe. I'm actually letting fluid come back. Mm-hmm. I- I'm actually letting material... Um, so I'm lower than poor pressure. Managed yeah. pressure is the idea of I'm trying to stay at, you know, very close to poor pressure. Oh, okay. Um, and so it's, it's a little different in how it's handled, but the idea is that I keep the pressure applied to the borehole um, very, very consistent. Um, and because I'm keeping it very consistent and, uh, you know, applying and taking off pre- and bleeding off pressure uh, that I can... Um, uh, basically minimize my ecd swings and and that sort of thing gotcha so what about different fluids i mean there's different you know types of fluids out there that are specifically designed to drill through uh highly fractured or you know formations or formations that are highly susceptible to loss so let's talk a little bit about those well i think i mean the biggest and broadest thing is uh think about we've talked about when do you use oil-based or water-based mud sometimes i use water-based mud because guess what it's cheaper and so if i lose it i'm okay with that um, it could be as basic as that. The other thing about water-based mud is, we, I, I think we've talked about this previously, uh, if you have, for example, an induced fracture, uh, water-based mud has a thicker filter cake. Um, and so if you think about that fracture tip and kind of that V-shape, um, it doesn't propagate as readily as oil-based mud um, because oil-based mud has a thinner filter cake. It forms what we call an internal filter cake um, where those droplets are actually invading slightly into the formation and sort of starting the bridging there. Um, and so water-based mud typically can give you a couple of points um, on your mud weight window. Uh, and then, you know, let's say we, we take it even further. Um, you know, one fluid system uh, that we've used a lot in loss-prone areas is mixed metal hydroxide. Uh, our system is called Enerseal. Um, and you know, it's designed to hold up to some common contaminants, but it's got a very interesting rheological profile where it may invade into a fracture and under minimal shear conditions, it gets very thick. Um, and because of that, uh, you know, once it's away from the well bore, it gets very thick. With In combination with lost circulation material, we found that it addresses losses, particularly I can't ever get anybody to tell me the name of the formation, but somewhere out in the Permian, there's this riverbed everybody talks about and how (laughs) they go on total losses. They've lost wells, that sort of thing. A fluid system like that works really well um, in addressing um, those types of losses. 
Um, and then, um, you know, fluid application, we've talked about what we're strengthening. We've done, I think we did a whole episode on that. We and, sure did. Um, the thing I think is that you're sort of drawing out of the conversation um, is, you know, as you mentioned, we want to prevent it first. Treating losses is kind of the last thing we want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to go down our list of options of things we can do to minimize or eliminate the risk of losses before we get there. And then if we have to treat them, let's have a plan in place um, and hopefully it solves the problem quickly. Right. One thing we didn't touch on is, uh, you know, something like even a direct emulsion to where you can lower the, the, the density to, which we did talk about lowering density, but that's another system that, you know, in certain areas uh, actually serves purpose by drilling through, um, you know, formations that are depleted or have a low fracture gradient. Uh, that you can, you know, adjust the density, you know, based off the, you know, with the chemistry that we've, or those systems have, uh, can also be, you know, something to, to prevent lost circulation. Um, Matt, other than that, I mean, if that's covered all the questions I had for you today. I mean, what do you think? Is there anything else out there with regards to lost circulation that the listeners might be interested to hear? Um, no, you know, I, I think one of the hard things for me when I try and understand lost circulation is there's just so much stuff out there. Yeah. And so even reading technical papers, it can be fairly confusing on, you know, is this lab test even applicable to what we're doing right now? Is this, you know, is this new material as great as people make it sound? Or, you know, they won't tell me what's in it because there's nothing in it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's just one of those. Um, and, and even the takeaway, I, th- I think a lot of operators have this idea that, you know, hey, if, if we're, um, if we're losing mud, that's good for the mud companies. And so they have, they don't really have a vested interest in curing losses <laughs> where I think, you know, you and I know that losses are sort of a, a, a walk of shame moment for us where we, we want to prevent them and cure them and, um, you know, not have to get anybody upset with us about the mud bill. Um, we, you know, we like, we like 10 clean wells instead of one well where we lost a ton of mud and then, you know, got run off. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's never. And so I, I think I, I wish that mindset was a little different. Um, you know, we do spend a lot of resources trying to develop uh, new things and and even refine our methodology on what we currently do. Um, but it, you know, there does sort of seem to be that mindset, uh, and and so I, I think that's something I I wish I could change. Sure. Um, but uh, you know, you know, the big thing is you know have a plan and have a good reason for that plan. Um, and hopefully then everybody's on the same, you know, the same team, same uh, mindset. And, and when we go to address these issues, uh, we're looking at the whole picture and we're using the right stuff the first time. Perfect. I like it. Well, look for all the listeners out there, if you have any further questions or you have any, you know, neat stories related to lost circulation or how you healed it, uh, hit us up at flowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, a lot of you have actually reached out to us on LinkedIn, which is always uh, welcome and appreciated. And if you'd like to continue to support the show, please subscribe and do us a huge favor. Take a few minutes and leave a review, um, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, all that stuff really helps, uh, you know, helps us continue to plan and uh, lets this machine keep running. So for everyone out there, thanks again for listening. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. 
The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.